Hey everybody, this is Rita Springer and welcome once again to the Rita Springer podcast. I love conversations like I'm going to have today, mainly because my heart for adoption is, um, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. I, most of you, many of you have probably listened to my adoption podcast. And if you know anything about me, you know that um, I have a strong heart for adoption. My son is now 18 years old. I came about that in a really kind of random, godly way. But anything that has to do with foster care or adoption, I just am all in on. And we're going to have a conversation today with Stephen and Sandra Hogue out in Daytona, Florida. Right, guys? You live in Daytona? Yep. Daytona Florida? Beach. Mm-hmm. Daytona Beach. And this is a new connection. It was just a, a few weeks ago that they... Um, reached out to come and have me do a um, a benefit gala for um, this beautiful organization that they started quite a number of years ago that really has to do with raising up the church to take care of the orphan. And so I just thought, man, what a great what a great opportunity just to sit down and talk with them about this and to um, and get information about what they're doing, see how we can pray for them and how we, we can support them. So welcome, Stephen and Sam. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Glad to be with you. Yeah, yeah. I now, yeah. So, Stephen and Sandra Hogue, tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing, where you guys started, and let people know what you're doing with One Family is yeah. the um, organization that you guys are running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it really started with uh, we were children's pastors at a church, and then we decided to have that we just wanted to have children and realized that we had infertility issues. And so, really, in a nutshell, Sandra had to go through two surgeries, all types of treatments, and we never conceived. And we were believing and praying. And then uh, we were that couple that one day we would have our own and then uh, then one day we would adopt, that we were that kind of couple. So we really just put adoption on the front burner. And then Sandra found out about foster care classes and signed us up for the 10-week course. And uh, we got licensed as foster parents. Uh, we actually found out our very first placement was a private adoption and no joke when we met the attorney we had 15 minutes to say yes to this baby and we had no kids at the time so we our first child that we got who's 18 as well now we had 15 minutes to say yes to him while he was in the NICU at the hospital but then right after that we got licensed as foster parents and then really within 15 months we went from zero to four kids in 15 months uh, all through foster care and adoption and after that is when we really got burdened for this invisible mission field of the kids and child welfare. And we really got wrecked in a good way. We just, God gave us a burden for this people group. And we, we just felt like God called us to say yes as often as we can. So we ended up fostering a total of 18 children over about 10 years. And wow. then eight of those kids that were uh, in foster care became adoptable, eight of the 18 actually didn't go back to family. They, the parents' rights were terminated. So we adopted them and then two were private adoptions. So we have 10 children total. They're all adopted. Eight came out of foster care, two private adoptions. But that's kind of how it started. And then of mm-hmm. course, um, we were working at the church and uh, very busy and the Lord just kept telling us he, uh, to do more. And we're thinking, how much more can we do? Uh, and the Lord called us to step down and we became full-time foster care missionaries. And what we do is train the local church to do foster care ministry and fulfill James 127. Anything related to, to families and foster care, adoption, relative caregivers who are, you know, a lot of times grandparents raising their grandkids so they don't go into foster care. We want to help those kind of families. Yeah, I mean, I've always, I've always really felt like 
the orphan problem would be solved if the church stepped up and began to take care of the children, mainly because there's so much scripture about it, about, you know, pure religion. James says pure religion undefiled is to care for the widow and the orphan. And I was, I actually grew up thinking, how come the church doesn't have more responsibility in caring for the orphan or, or taking on, on kids? And so I have a friend that did something like this in Houston. And that was the first time I was like, saw a church really get involved. So I think it's what, what, when you guys started talking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. How are, we, are you guys still taking kids on personally? Not at the moment. Um, in the state of Florida, like many states, there's a cap of how many kids you can have in your home. And so we had exceeded that cap already. And so we're just raising the, we have eight in our home currently. Out of the and what are the ages? What are the ages of your eight? Our youngest child is 10 and our oldest child is 23. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Now, are you guys still pastoring a church? Like, did you, you were pastors doing this as pastors. You have help with family around you. Like, what was the belief and support around you in starting this whole idea? Mm-hmm. Well, at first, um, you know, going into foster care was a little, um, it was enlightening in the sense that we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. And once we got in, we realized that this whole foster care thing wasn't really about growing our family. It was more about meeting needs of children and, and redeeming lives, really. And and so we, when we started the journey as children's pastors, Uh, one of the things we realized, well, two things. One is that resources were very scarce. You could not find things that families needed that would get kids overnight or in a two hour, you know, period of time that, you know, you were given to get ready for this drop off. And so we started right away uh, what we called the orphans closet at the church we were at. And we made that available for free resources that included shoes and clothing, diapers and wipes, really anything that people would donate or things that people would pick up from the store. And we would keep it on hand in our orphans closet to give away to uh, local foster and adoptive families. But the second thing we realized is because we were kind of, you know, people knew about what we were doing since we were on staff, we realized not very many people knew about foster care, knew how to get into we foster care. We were the only family yeah. that we knew. Yeah. And so we realized we were also on a mission of bringing awareness and helping people understand what this encompassed and how they too could be involved if they wanted. And of course, that grew into more and more things as we became uh, more deeper as we went deeper into fostering and adopting and, and really learning mm-hmm. about the orphan spirit and about kids who came with trauma background and how to parent those kind of kids differently. And just that, that helped us really form, you know, with the kids ministry background and, and just having kids in our home really formulate this heart for, okay, there's something more than what we're doing here and just meeting basic needs that's when one family was birthed that this one needed to be something outside of just our church, but something more regionally, more citywide, more statewide. And who knows, maybe more nationwide because the body as a whole body of Christ, we do some good things in this area of foster care and this people group that like my husband had, has mentioned, but as a whole, I feel like we could do so much more 
as the body of Christ. And some of it's because we don't, people don't know what to do. And so we felt like that was one of our calls was let the people know Mm -hmm. how to do this so that more and more people can be involved. And somewhere along the way, the church handed this over. It was our job, biblically. I mean, really the main social uh, safety net we talk about really is the church. We're called to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. And so somewhere along the way, we handed it over to the government. So when we're training churches, it's like brand new. And so many things are happening where God is stirring up his people. Roe versus Wade was overturned. So churches are going, we want to do something. We just need to know how. So we trained them because when we were doing foster care, we had some family members, but we really didn't have the kind of support you need. And so we train churches to support these families, to hold up their arms. And so they can do it longer and stronger. And that's so necessary because so many foster families will quit after the first year. It's just too hard. The system is too hard. The kids can be tough. And so that's why when the church does it, it's always better. And we're seeing that change now. We're seeing church-based movements and it's changing the system. I was just up at our state capitol and the politicians were t- are telling me things are changing because the church is finally getting involved and it's pretty cool. Have you guys been surprised by by um, sometimes the lack of interest though that the church has had in getting involved with with something that you would think anybody would rush to this and, and want to like pick up a baby from a hospital and take care of a baby. I understand careers and work levels and exhaustion and all that stuff, but I, I think it's just kind of an, a little unnerving, surprising, and a little um, a little frustrating for me to even be the single mom hearing the Lord doing what I did and having people kind of treat me like, um, "Wow, how sweet of you to do that! That's so sweet of you to do that!" And thinking, "Why would anybody do this?" Like. Yeah. I think it's almost like if there were people in a burning building and you had the chance to save them, mm-hmm. I would run into a burning building and save them. Mm-hmm. Don't call me a hero because I do that. Call me normal. Exactly. I think, you know com- I think Absolutely. I think comfort and convenience is really plagued the church. And so what happens with a ministry like this is it's, uh, it's not uh, a glamorous ministry. It's redemption is messy. It's dirty. It's bloody. It's difficult to redeem a life. It's difficult. Uh, you're, you're, you're really a part of shifting the generational line of a family towards Christ. I mean, the enemy comes after these families. It's not a glamorous, easy ministry to do. So what we're finding is there are churches who are all in because God spoke to the leadership of the pastor or his wife or someone, and they were just all burdened by this. But the ones that uh, we always pray that God would speak to because the ones that um, haven't really felt it or God hasn't spoken to are, are like, well, you know, we're not sure if we want to add another ministry. And in our mind, you're thinking this, you know, because this we, we, we did kids ministry, we did youth ministry. We love worship ministry and all that. But if you look at like kids and youth ministry, according to the Bible, really the way we do it today is not in the Bible. It's a, the parents' job to raise them. So they're so good. They're great ministries to have. But orphan ministry is in the Bible many, many, many times. Yeah. To me, it's a no-brainer. But I think really it's, it's a difficult thing to for people to take on and do. And it, you got to be in it for the long haul and you got to realize you're in it for a fight. And I think that's where some of the resistance. So some people want to donate money and kind of say, I'm done. Uh, And other people are all in. So it really depends. That's why we're asking God to awaken his people to his heart. 
And when he does that, then we don't have to push him or try to convince him. But. Wow. And so, uh, so you were saying that, um, which I never thought about this before until you said it. Like if I'm on the foster care roster mm-hmm. and I get a phone call, nobody brings bottles and milk mm-hmm. along with the infant. That's you right. just pick an infant in a carrier with a couple diapers and that's it. So you almost have to be prepared. Oh, yeah, if, if, that. if that. You might not get the carrier. You might not even get the diapers. No, no. <laughs> we've had many, many babies come with um, a diaper bag with nothing in it. We had one little boy that came in with a diaper bag with all girls clothes and it was a little boy. Um, we've had some interesting things. We had a little, uh, a sweet little 18 month old. He came with a trash bag with a blown up balloon that they kept him busy with Nothing in their else. office so that they can wait for someone to respond to pick him up. No clothes, no, nothing. We didn't know what he ate or drank or what he was allergic to. I mean, you do, you do have to be ready. ready. You have to be ready. And I think that's part of the reason why we feel like the church needs to be on standby because it's not just the family that's taking the child that has to be ready. The whole church should be prepared to wrap around this family because mm-hmm. not everybody will foster, but everybody can do something mm-hmm. in the foster care system. And foster care in the in modern day, that that is the modern day orphan. And so I think sometimes too, we just have this mindset of let's send money to orphanages in Africa or, you know, Asia or wherever, but the orphans are here in our backyard. They live here. They go to our schools, they attend our churches and we have a role to play. And, And when those families step up and say, I'll take a child in, the rest of us should say, what can we do? Yeah. You're taking the child in. I, I'd like to support you financially. I'd like Green to bring meals. a crib. I'd like meals. to support you with meals. Baby I'd like city. to babysit. I'd like to help you with all the fu- the uh, transportation that you have to do with taking these kids to the courtroom and to the speech therapist Therapy. and occupational therapist and meet the birth parents every week. And I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. So that's where that where we call messy and <laughs> difficult. Yeah, we get that. Not everybody is called, called or yeah. equipped to live this kind of lifestyle with these children. But mm-hmm. those that are called, the rest of us need to support them. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, what we do in our ministry yeah. is Educate. raise up the church yeah. by bringing education and training them on how how do you support these families. Let's talk practical things. Let's talk what's tangible. Yeah. Now, what are your statistics? I know, uh, obviously, maybe state to state, the statistics of the foster care system and how many kids are in the system are different um, by state by state. What is Florida? Like, you know, in our country, like, where is the greatest areas of, of foster issues? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Well- Probably pretty similar to like the higher crime areas and trafficking is connected to foster care. I mean, bigger cities Um, in Florida. So to give you perspective, we have about a half a million children in foster care in the country. Right now. And on any given day Mm -hmm. in our state, we have about 22,000. Of course, the number's changing every day. Mm -hmm. About 22,000 in our state. We have 67 counties. And we live in Volusia County, but we also cover the tri-county area when it comes to child welfare. And in our tri-county area, 
We have approximately 1,200 children in what we call out-of-home care. That means they're with relatives, they're with licensed foster care, they're in a therapeutic home, or they're in a group home. Wow. And then how many, how many issues Because the foster care system, man, it's got a lot of holes and issues in it governmentally. I mean, I've heard some horror stories yep. of, of kids that are placed in, in homes because People really do it for the wrong reasons. When you guys say you're called to it, there's even something in there that I'm like, everybody should be called to this, you know? But you almost have to carry a grace and a mercy and a patience Mm -hmm. and a compassion because you're dealing with children Mm -hmm. who have been traumatic experiences for the most part. And if they're doing it to get a paycheck from the government, it is... It is just a massive problem causer. So you almost need to feel called by God, moved by the Lord to do it. You know, I've met a lot of people that are like, well, we're just not called to adopt. We want to have our own children. We want to have kids that look like us. Mm -hmm. And and I don't think anything's wrong with that. I think that's great. But I am so glad that the Lord thought enough to say, Mm -hmm. hey, would you partner with me? in the way I do adoption and would you go out? And I, I, I can tell you that my life making the choice to say yes to the Lord in that area, um, supernaturally changed my connection with God. It supernaturally put this whole different power in my relationship with God and just the favor that I felt around myself with being seen by God and heard by God, I felt I had taken on God's son. And so I felt like all heaven was watching me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Yeah, we do. I I realized that when you talk about being called, um, that's almost, even though that word's frustrating for me when it has to do with orphan, because I'm like, get down there and get your license and take care of kids, church. But I realize that you have to have compassion to do it or you do it for all the wrong reasons. Right. Is it hard to get people to come? And and is that like, what's the hardest part for you guys getting people involved? Well, I, I want to say something that I like to um, kind of liken uh, being a foster family to. First of all, Everyone should do something, but there are families that we meet that uh, shouldn't be fostering. That's just not going to be good. It's not, they're not prepared. They're not ready. They shouldn't do that. They can do something else. You know, they can bring meals. They can support in many different ways. So, uh, but the calling is very important. If you think about a missionary gets a call to go to a foreign field, to go to another country, they sell everything. They they have to, if they're under a mission organization, they have to get vetted. They have to be prepared. The mission organization we were under, we're looking at our marriage. We had to do psychological evaluations, you know, uh, all the stuff. They don't want you to go overseas and then just totally like implode and, and not work out. So they really want to prepare you. And then churches will support these missionaries through prayer and through support and through finances and all that. These are families that don't go to the mission field. They open their front door and they let the mission field walk in and live in their house. And so we call them families on mission. I, I look at them like missionaries in the same way missionaries need support morally, prayerfully, uh, emotionally, and then financially. In this case, you know, uh, most foster families uh, or foster families are getting a government subsidy 
And in some cases, if somebody adopts, they may need financially uh, help to adopt. But for the most part, it's not really financially. It's more of uh, supporting them as a family, walking through it with them. But it's very, very important. I tell people, are you called to do this, to pray about it? Because, I mean, there are celebrities who adopt kids and it's trendy and cool and neat and people might pat you on the back and whatever. It is, uh, it is a messy thing. It's, it's redemption. A it's a fight because yeah. what you're doing, like with our kids, two, three generations back of their biological family, the enemy had this family line. And then you point them to Jesus and the enemy's like, I've had this entire generational line for two, three, four generations or more. I mean, incarceration, domestic violence, homelessness, drug addiction, uh, everything, everything you can imagine. And you're saying no to that. You're, you're saying we're breaking the cycle in the name of Jesus and we're pointing these kids and their kids and their their kids the next two or three generations towards the Lord, the enemy's going to give you a big fight. So what they are is families on mission. It's very, very important. So I tell them, I, I in some ways try to talk them out. Are you sure you're called? Because I know some families who got into it weren't ready for it and the enemy just ate them up. I mean, it was not good and it didn't work out well for the kids either. So you've got to know you're called. And then when you're called, just like with a missionary, the church should come in and hold up your arms. You look at Moses sitting on that rock and Joshua's fighting the Malachites and Aaron and her are on either side holding his arms. And Joshua's the one in the trenches. So he's like the foster family or the adoptive family or the relative caregiver family. Imagine the grandparents in their 60s or 70s taking in a toddler or two because their, you know, their, their child is on drugs or something. So they've taken their grandkids. They think they're in retirement. You know, they're going to be retiring and now they got to start all over. They need, they're in the trenches. It's difficult. So when, when Aaron and her is just holding up an arm, that seems like easy. I can do that. That's like, I can bring a meal. I can bring a meal. Yeah, I can mow their lawn for them. I can drive them to that appointment. I can hold up their arms like that. And when someone brings a meal or helps you out, it is absolutely refreshing and incredible as a foster or adoptive family when someone does that. Uh, I picked up some meals this morning that somebody gave our family. And I went to their house and got all these meals that she's not going to have to cook. And it's such a blessing to our family. And so everybody can do something that might even seem insignificant, but these families are in the trenches. And so as Moses was interceding for them, Joshua was winning. And as Moses's arms were lifted up, Joshua was winning. And what happens is if any one of those four were not doing their job, the battle would have been lost. So we all have a role to play. But the ones in the trenches are the ones that, that have the calling from the Lord to get in the trenches and go after these kids and redeem their lives. It's a wonderful calling. And I think it just needs to be affirmed and it needs to be supported just like we do missionaries. Yeah, that's actually a great example. Because it is, it, it, it should look exactly the same. It's just it's frustrating that not every church is doing this. And I do think that that's what every church should be called to have some kind of an organization in them to kind of do this. Amen. How does, when you guys started the One Family Organization, that's essentially what you're doing with that is when they get the, is that what you guys do? You provide the kits when they get the kids? If that's what they need and providing the support for them. Mm-hmm. So how it, how it really, what it looks like is we are helping churches launch their own orphan care or foster care yeah. ministry. We so we, we go into the church and we say, is this something you're interested in? 
you know, we obviously have to get the uh, validation from the pastor or the staff. And then once they, they give us the go ahead, we train teams where we have a ministry leader and, and a team of volunteers and we train them on how do you support these families? So it starts with an evaluation of who is in your church that's doing this. Most of the time, I'd say 99.9% of the time, the pastors and the staff have no idea who's fostering and who's adopted and who's, who's relative care. They don't know who, who in their church is even doing this. And so we ask them to do an evaluation and, um, and ask the church to do a questionnaire. Who, who out there in the congregation is doing this? Because you don't know always by looking at them. And once you get that information, then you really just equip the church to be that kind of support. And it's very intentional. It's not like, hey, this is what you should be doing for these families. See you later. It's, hey, this is what you should be doing. This is how often you should be doing it. And it should be on your church calendar. That's how intentional it is. If you're going to have a babysitter, babysit, family A's kids four hours a month on every other Friday. It needs to be on the church calendar that sister so-and-so is going to be going to that family's house on first and third Friday for two hours so that the parents get a, a night out and get a break. And so it's very intentional. It's very organized because foster parents don't ask for help. Most of the time they feel that it's their calling and their job and they don't feel like they can ask and that's why we help the church understand. We don't wait for them to ask. We help them on the front end so that we don't wait for crisis. And then all of a sudden we're trying to run in and help a family who's in crisis. And one thing I'll do that, you know, as an organization, we could, we could uh, be connecting with foster families like a lot of agencies do, and we could give them the things they need, uh, but we wouldn't be able to even hardly scratch a surface on the need just as one organization. But if we train the local church, Amen. so we have 17 trained churches right in our area here. We're believing for 50. We're trying to tr- train 50 churches. I mean, that makes a major difference in our county, in our area with that many churches. And these are different different denominations, churches are probably not working together, if you know what I mean. It's really awesome to see them come together. We're really seeing the Lord command his blessing over this region because the churches are unified, but we're called to the church. That's really our first mission field is them, raise them up to reach these families. That's amazing. You guys, I'm coming down to help you with the benefit yeah. That you're doing almost like a gala, right? That you're doing mm-hmm. to raise awareness and raise money for one family mm-hmm. to be able to continue this process in connecting and networking churches to get involved and get the orphan fostered and get the orphan taken care of. Tell us a little bit about that benefit and what your plans are for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is second annual vision dinner for one family, and we are fundraising. Uh, we are actually fundraising for two things, two, two main things. The big one is we're looking to purchase a building. We really want to have a building we're calling the One Family Center, where we can operate the ministry out of. So we can have uh, really, we'd like to have a prayer room for families to come and receive prayer and then have uh, counseling and inner healing to help families go through a process of healing. Uh, also resources as needed, but training, uh, all kinds of things that help these families. We want a facility to be able to operate out of. So we're doing that. And we're also doing the first ever foster care summer camp 
for kids in foster care has ever happened in this county. So we're going to have 25 kids. And what, what we're doing is we're helping connect siblings. And so at this foster camp that we're doing in August, the agencies are actually sending us the children that are separated from siblings. And so they can see their siblings at camp. And this is a camp that uh, we just, it's totally different than any summer camp you would, you've ever seen or been to. Uh, we do a one-to-one ratio with adults. So one adult per child, and they just love on these kids and treat them like royalty. So those are the two main things we're raising funds for. But ultimately, it is to bring awareness to the fact that we're coming together as the local church and even the local community. I mean, there are people that have connected to this vision and aren't even believers yet or business leaders or even politicians because they realize when the family is healed, the community is healed. And so really, that's what it's about. If you look at the social issues we deal with and trace them, almost all of them back to the breakdown of the family or fatherless homes. And so ultimately, this dinner is to come together and is to say, look, as a community, we are going to bring change. And as we raise up the local church, change is coming and change is happening in our system. And I call it a foster care revolution. That's what I want to see. I want to see the church take it back completely. We're really beginning to see the beginnings of that, where the church is, is doing what the government has tried to do, but can't do it well, because it was our job to begin with. So that's what the dinner's about. And we're so glad to have you and you share your heart and your story and, and your worship there that night. It's it's really what we say gala sometimes, we use terms like that. Really, I want to have a, a, a beautiful worship service unto the Lord to honor him and to honor what he's doing because it's his kids. I mean, if you look at the what God says about children and the orphan, He's serious about about that. He's serious about orphans. He's serious about vulnerable children. And we are to care for them. We are, it's a mandate. And so they have his heart. So when you reach them, you get his heart. So we really just want to share his heart that night and have just an anointed night of, of fellowship, sharing the vision of what God is doing in this area and this state for kids. That's amazing. That night primarily is geared toward um, the building that you want to purchase and use that building in the ministry to facilitate some of this care that you're doing with kids and make it like a ministry center, correct? Correct. Um, and then the summer camp. You're doing a summer camp. Yes. yes. So we are going to be hosting the very first Royal Family Kids Camp this summer for our area and it'll be kids in the foster care system being treated like royalty for one week. And we're going to have amazing. a birthday party, uh, a birthday party for all of the kids to celebrate them. And we'll have all kinds of fun activities for them to be a part of and for them to be a kid. And one of the little um, extras about this camp is that we're really trying to get kids who have siblings in foster care that are not living together to be at the camp during the same time so they can see their siblings at camp. So that's one of the neat parts about camp. And the building is just going to house our office space, our training, our counseling rooms, just every all the things that we've, we've been doing either online or borrowing space for, we'll get to do under one roof. Yeah, that's, that's so amazing. I was so deeply inspired when we had our first conversation about this. And just... 
excited because it's not every day that somebody calls you up and says, hey, I love the orange. <laughs> you know? So I hate to say that because it's so rare, but it was so refreshing to me to talk to you guys and be like, yes, yes, I'll come and do this for you. What's the uh, date? Maybe um, your website, where people can go to. Um, can churches out of state connect and partner with you guys? Or is it just churches in the Florida area? Well, anybody can connect with us through our website, OneFamilyFL, so like Florida.com. So OneFamilyFL.com. They can give, they can donate, they can see all that God's doing. But those that are in Florida can definitely attend. We're in the Daytona Beach area. So if you go to OneFamilyFL.com slash events, you can see the Vision Dinner there. Sign up for that. It's on April 29th at 5 p.m. Um, and so people can connect with us in different ways. We get churches and uh, people connect to us from all over the place. And uh, for many different reasons, to just to be a resource for them. Maybe their church is wanting to start something. I got connected yesterday with a church. They called us and they had, they had, they took in a, a family member, took in three kids and they just needed some help and didn't know what to do. And the, the, the pastoral staff didn't know what to do. So we really just want to help the body of Christ be able to have the tools they need to reach these families and these kids. So great. That's so great. I just even want to, to just pitch out there too, that if there's any other churches that are thinking about doing this, you've had a heart to do something like this, but you don't even know where to start. Maybe reach out to Stephen and Sandra Hogue and ask the questions that need to be asked. You guys have been in this for a long time. And if you can help facilitate churches to maneuver um, de a department in their church to actually do this kind of stuff. I, I actually think the church could change the, the nation. Amen. If we change, yeah, the, the, the open crisis, the foster care crisis. You know, I, I've been frustrated as, you know, I mean, I tried to do two other adoptions that fell through. Mm. And the rules and regulations a lot with the foster care is you can't take these kids out of state. And I'm on a plane every weekend taking you know, doing trips out of state. And so I always felt like I was barred from even foster care, but um, just because of my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that if I, if I adopted, uh, that would be the only way to go for me. And I've often wondered, man, when justice goes to college, maybe I should start foster care, you know, but it's that you can't really take kids across state lines. And, but it would have been great to have a church that supported that around me. So man, if you, if you, there's a church out there that needs that, or even another organization that wants to help partner or somebody that wants to like, I want to help fund something like this. Um, I just encourage you, if you're listening to just reach out, ask the question, right? I mean, start asking the questions. Just get in there and find out what's it going to take to do this. What what does it take out of our lives? How much of this is going to be? Is God calling me to this? Is this something God's calling me to? Because I just think it's so important. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Yes, God is doing something, and and I'm telling you, we're we're change is happening in this in this realm with the church getting involved. Yes, so good. And the date again. For the benefit is April 29th in Daytona Beach. Yep. Where is it going to be at? So there is actually a Salvation Army building that we use sometimes. It's this beautiful building that they're allowing us to use uh, right in the heart of Daytona Beach. And that's where it's going to be. At the Salvation Army in Daytona Beach. 
Yeah. That's great. Well, that's great. I'm excited to be with you guys. And um, thanks for saying yes, just to come on and just share your story. I just thought your story was so inspiring. And I absolutely believe in what you guys do. Thank you. Thank you we so much. We appreciate it. We look Thank forward you. to seeing you. Thank you so yeah. much. We're excited. Yeah, bless you guys. For those that are listening, shout out to you and me, Media, who helped put this podcast on. And um, we just, I so appreciate that, that you take the time to listen to it. Um, and we will see you guys soon. Bye.